Because that, that is what a leader is supposed to do. A leader is supposed to help other people be successful. And when we do that and we do it right, it's powerful. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mentors Podcast. I'm your host, Ava Wetrick. Here on this show, we talk to luminaries from around the world to discuss their journey towards success and what wisdom they have to offer the younger generation. Each episode, we have on a new guest, a new story, and a new path towards personal success. I hope you're ready, and I hope you enjoy. Today, we have on Kim Bilyeu. Kim is currently the Senior Manager in Global Education at Johnson & Johnson, and formerly the Director of Knowledge and Training at Quest Nutrition. She helps lead, direct, and educate high-level nurses and engineers, and most interestingly, she created an in-depth and thorough book clubs that allowed members to implement what they are digesting. Her collaborations have resulted in the design and implementation of multiple development and mentorship programs that increase the leadership talent pool, positive turnover, loyalty among employees, and cultivate a culture of servant leadership. Kim has been such a wonderful mentor to me. She has shown me dozens of amazing books to read and is a testament to the experimental process in terms of becoming an effective and emotionally intelligent leader. She has a wealth of knowledge to give, and I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Without further ado, Kim Bilyeu. Kim, thank you so much for being on. Absolutely. Totally my pleasure. I'm very excited to have this conversation today. Oh my gosh, as am I, as am I. You know, the first question I always ask my guests is, what is your origin story? Who were you then, and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked me that question because I, I like to tell my origin story. So a couple of things to know about me. Uh, I am one of those people who genuinely loves the sound of their own voice. So uh, I like being the center of attention. So something like this is awesome. I just wish we had a bigger audience that I could see. Uh, but to tell you a bit about myself. So this person that you see today is not who I was. If you were to see me, I'm old. So if you see me 30 years ago when I was 17, 18 years old, I, I didn't look the same. I was quiet. I was bullied. High school was a four years of sheer unadulterated misery. But I knew that I wanted to be a teacher. From the time I was 15, I can remember this moment when I was like, I know what I want to do with my life. I want to teach. And I want to teach history because I think history is fascinating. And so I headed off to college, which Thank the good Lord in heaven that I was able to go to college because it wasn't a done deal in my life that I was going to be able to go. Uh, I had to get scholarships to pay for it as my dad was unemployed my senior year in high school, which is kind of scary, but it allowed me to get away and to go. I went two hours from home. Um, half of my graduating class went to the same college, which was a bit unfortunate, but there was now, instead of being 200 people, there were 10,000 people that I could choose and find out that there were actually people in this world who liked school as much as I did, who wanted to learn and grow and were interested in stuff. And I wasn't, I didn't have to be alone. And so for me, college was this place of discovering I could be funny, that I could have fun, that there were people like me and I could find a place to belong. And that really marked uh, the beginning of a journey that lasted a really, really long time. Uh, I was very fortunate. I had a college roommate who taught me how to have fun. And, and we played cribbage often during the week. And so she beat me almost every time. But I, I started to learn how to think differently. 
And, and then we had a good thing journal. And so we started a gratitude habit really early. And so every night before we went to bed, we would put something in our good thing journal. We did that for four years. And it was an incredible habit to create. So at the end of every day, before it was a thing to do gratitude, we were doing our good thing journal. And truly some days it was like, I, I made it back up the stairs to the dorm today. That's success. Like there were days and just like, there are always days like that in our lives where that is the best we can say is I made it to the end of the day. But there were also days like, oh my gosh, this was an amazing day. I had this test or I did this thing that was successful or I get to go and student teach in a place that I've always wanted to be and maybe I'm going to be good at this. And then I realized when I student taught, I actually was good at it and I liked it. Unlike literally every other person in my class who did student teaching who hated it, I loved it because here I was, I could entertain a classroom of kids all day and their job was to pay attention to me. Again, center of attention. I really genuinely like that. So I had a blast and I learned so much about me and about kids and how to teach. And I was good at it and I was terrible at it all at the same time. And then I realized that the things that I really wanted to do, I couldn't do in a public school classroom because I wanted to change how we approached education. And there are a bunch of laws that say what you can and can't do in a classroom. And as a young teacher, I just didn't have the kind of understanding of how to maneuver in the system to make it work for me. And so I said, okay, fine, I'm going to pause and I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to get my master's degree in theology, which is not at all helpful in the corporate world, but it was so much fun. Uh, it's one of the like genuinely selfish things I've ever done was spend three years going to school just because I wanted to. Then you have to pay for it. And that, that was less fun. Uh, but that led me to getting a corporate job because I needed a job to be able to pay for the schooling that I had done because it was fun. And so I got a job and it was a job at a call center in the state of Washington. And I literally, I remember the day I got the job, I called my mom and I said, I got a job today. The only good thing I can think of is that I get a headset. And she's like, what? I said, well, yeah, I, I get a, I get to wear a headset all day. Cause I'm, I'm in a call center. I'm a, I'm a phone rep. Here I am. I am a licensed teacher with a master's degree and I'm answering the phones for a health insurance company. And I'm thinking, whew, okay, this, this is the road I'm on. And okay, how do I make this a job that doesn't make me want to jump out of a window? And, and so early on, I realized they have a training department. And I was like, well, that's where I want to be. I want to teach people. This, this, is, this desire, deep, deep desire still is there. And so I started, I was like, okay, how do I get to you? And so I talked to my trainer and I said, her name was Jolene. We've remained friends. Jolene, how do I, how do I do what you're doing today? Because I, that's what I want to do. I'm wired for this. Not enough people are paying attention to me. I'm not very good on the phones because I am not fast. I answer all the questions. They really like talking to me, but I am not fast and you want me to be fast. So how do I get to you uh, and do what you do? And she's like, well, this is what, this is the path I took. And so I literally mimicked her path and I did it really fast because my boss realized that I was not awesome on the phones. <laughs> They're like, she's a great employee. She shows up every day like she's supposed to. Uh, we should get her something else and hopefully she can actually be helpful with us. And so I made my way into the training department and there I excelled and had a great time, redesigned the training program, had a lot of fun. I'm really entertained people. And our training was long. It was 13 weeks in a classroom with adults all day. I realized very quickly that adults and kids learn exactly the same. So one of the things that I always tell people is that adult learning theory is a bunch, it's a sham 
It's totally a marketing experiment. It is nothing more than that. How people learn, once you have the ability to think abstractly, is how people learn. That's how the human brain works. There isn't, like, I can motivate a group of adults with a bar of chocolate, just like I can motivate a group of 12-year-olds. And I know because I have done both. <laughs> and it works in both directions. And so I don't know why people get, like, you have to do adult learning this way. You don't. Do adult learning the way that you do kid learning. It's the same thing. Oh, Everybody wants to have their experiences matter. We all want to have an opportunity to do and play and learn and make mistakes and be okay. And so that really started to inform my philosophy of education, which I actually had to write when I was in college, I had to write my philosophy of education. And I used a, so this is my countercultural experience. I started young. So I took a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon and had I understood copyright laws, I would have actually gotten Bill Waterston's permission to use it, but I didn't. So I didn't, uh, but I used the comic strip and it was one where Calvin has his head unscrewed and he, the opening panel is him in a classroom and then he's on a conveyor belt and green gloop is being poured into his head on this conveyor belt. And then at the end, he's still sitting in his classroom. And I'm like, that is our modern, modern schooling system and it's wrong. And here's how I think we should do it differently. And then I realized you can't actually do that in the classroom. So I started teaching adults because with adults, as long as you're not like physically hurting them, you can do anything you want. You have unlimited opportunities to try new things. And so I did. And we started playing with how people learn. And so then that led me to reading books about neuroscience. And whenever I say read, please hear Kim listens to audiobooks on Audible because I can listen really fast and I read really slow. So I am listening to audiobooks. I start reading about neuroscience and how the brain functions and that it's this crazy organ inside of a skull that can't interact with the world at all and yet guides everything that we do. And I have to be careful not to think about that too long because otherwise I start to get a little bit weird. So that's all I'm gonna say about that. <laughs> I realized that the brain is something we really have to consider when we're thinking about education. And we can't just say, well, we're going to sit down and we're going to memorize things because that's what we do. And that's what we've been doing for the last 250 years. And it's always worked. Mm -hmm. Well, I would argue it hasn't always worked. And I would also argue that the world today is very different than the world of 250 years ago. We actually don't want people to just regurgitate information anymore. We want them to be problem solvers. And in order to do that, we have to teach them how to solve problems. And so we started to evaluate, like, what are we doing and how are we doing it? And it happened to coincide with, um, some changes that were happening in the business I was in. So I was a trainer. Then I left training because they were like, hey, do you want to be a leader? Because we kind of noticed that you do this leading thing and, and we would like to take advantage of that. And I was like, okay, literally not having given, I was having the time of my life as a trainer. I was like, this is easy. I'm a, you know, show up, do the job, go home kind of person. This is great. I have enough money that I can have a social life again. This is great. And they're like, hey, you should be a leader. And I was like, all right. You know, who doesn't when somebody comes and says, hey, do you want to try this thing? Who doesn't like want to give it a try? So, of course, I said yes. So I became a leader and I was leading a team in the call center. So I'm still working at the same company. I'm leading a team in the call center and it's the lowest performing team because, why? you know, what else are you going to do with the new person? But haze them by giving them the worst team. The advantage was I actually had a window seat. So that was good. So this is a call center. Everyone's in cubicles. Um, but at least I have windows. So that was like the prime real estate, but I had the worst team because we had windows. So it was very distracting. 
And, and so very quickly, I realized that I only knew how to lead, and I'm putting air quotes up for those of you listening, uh, I, I knew how to lead by bullying. Mm-hmm. And because that was all I'd ever seen. I played sports. And so you just kind of tell people what to do and you tell them really sternly and they just do it. Uh, and, and that actually doesn't work at all. And, and so I had a woman on my team who is, I, I call her the nicest human I've ever met. And I would actually hold that that's still true today. Her name is Dawn. She's amazing. And she genuinely is one of the nicest people you will ever meet. And one day she was really like, she made me look like I was fast when I was on the phone. She loved people. She loved to talk to people. So she was on the phone way too long. So again, I have the lowest performing team. So I'm getting all the pressure. Why are people having so much overtime? Why are their call time so long? All these questions. I'm like, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it by being stern. And so I stood at Dawn's desk and I said, you've got to get off the phone at the end of your shift. I don't care what you're doing. You've got to get off the phone. And I stood at her desk and kind of glared at her while she was on her last call of the day. And when she got done, I'm like, why, why, why are you always on the phone? The very, like going over your time every day. And she started to cry. I'm like, okay, there's a problem. And it was one of those out of body experiences where you go, huh, something's wrong with this picture. I have just made the nicest person I've ever met. I've made her cry. I think there's a problem here. And the problem is me. And I had to really wrestle with that. And it was one of those moments where everything around me just stopped. And I had this whole moment where I had to decide, is this who I want to be? And the answer to that question was no, I don't want to be the person that nobody talks to because they're mean or because they don't know how to help encourage people to be better. I want to be the person people come to because they trust that they're going to get good feedback. And I said, well, if I'm going to be that person, I'm going to have to learn how to do that because clearly I do not know how to do that and I'm going to have to be better. And so I stopped. And I apologized to her. And I think I apologized to her for the next year and a half. And we have remained friends. Like she is somebody who I hear from occasionally now. I I live in California now. I'm not in the state of Washington anymore. But she'll occasionally reach out to me. She came to visit California at one point to visit her daughter was living down here. And she stopped by and hung out with me for an afternoon. Like we have remained friends. And I tell the story all the time. And I have her permission to tell that story because it was the beginning of me learning to be a leader. And, and that, that journey has been now 17 years in the making. It has not been easy. It has not been without peril and hardships because it meant learning to be real. And it meant being able to be honest about those places where this was hard for me. But by starting that process, I got good mentors I started reading books. So I got real mentors that I knew and then mentors that I have never met who have been equally valuable. People like Brene Brown, who if you haven't, and I don't mean to have you stop listening to mentors podcast because it's awesome and you should totally listen to it, but really stop right now, pause this podcast, go listen to everything you can get your hands on from Brene Brown and then come back because she will change your life if you let her listen to her stuff. I am a different person today because I've interacted with her stuff. Hmm. So Brene Brown and then Simon Sinek, 
His stuff is amazing. And he's also an amazing guy. Him I've actually met. He's very cool. Highly recommend investing the time to really learn about why you do what you do. And then having the courage to take off all of the armor we put on to pretend to be something that we're not. I spent so many years being someone that I didn't even like because I thought that's what I was supposed to be. And so when I started interacting with these people, my career trajectory took off. I'd been a, a, an entry-level supervisor for five years. And that was the best I could hope for because I was terrible at it until I started to evaluate who I was and to really start to grow. And then I became the supervisor of the team that did training. And from there, I became the manager that did training in a local call center. And then I became, and this is an example of no good deed goes unpunished. I became the training leader for all 6,000 employees in four states. And that was a shocking experience because leading training for 600 people is very different than doing training for 6,000 people. Oh, I had so much to learn. And so I had that opportunity. And then I had an even greater opportunity to really test that I was willing to step out of my comfort zone and to try new things. I did something that I actually said I would never do. I moved from Bellingham, Washington, which is this amazing smallish college town where I'd lived for 25 years. I loved it. It's got mountains and water and it's green and beautiful and absolutely nowhere to go professionally, but it was amazing. I knew everyone in the city. It was awesome. Mm. And then my brother called one day <laughs> and uh, I remember this call. This was another one of those watershed moments you have me before and me after I was in the gym, I was lifting my phone rings. So you have to understand my brother. If you haven't put the pieces together, my brother is Tom Billyu. I get this call. He never calls me. We're a texting family. And he called me and he said, Hey, what would it take to get you to move to LA? And I said, a job with Disney. <laughs> and he said, well, I don't have any contacts at Disney. And I said, okay, well, next best would be a job with Quest. And he's like, awesome. So glad you said that. Cause I actually happen to know the people at Quest, i.e. <laughs> business partners. He said, we need somebody to come and build our training department. We don't have training today and we need training. We've now crossed that threshold where we can keep doing it word of mouth. We need to have somebody come in and actually formalize training build up a training team and build a learning culture. And I was like, that's amazing. That is what I love to do. I'd love an opportunity to do it on a global stage. Quest had just crossed over into that space where now they had a global presence. In fact, they were the number one protein bar in the world. And so I said, that sounds amazing. I literally the next Monday gave my, my two weeks notice. Within three weeks of that phone call, I was living in Los Angeles. I did not give myself time to think about it because I probably wouldn't have done it. Uh, I found renters for my house and I packed up all my belongings. My two dogs rode in the car with me to California. My two cats are fancy. So they flew down to LA because uh, they were like, we're not getting in the car with you guys. <laughs> so uh, they hard passed on the, they took a flight instead. So they joined us in LA and we've been here now for just over five years and had an opportunity to work at Quest and really to, to have that blank slate of what do you want this to be? I had an opportunity to work with the C-suite, so Tom and his two partners, and start to talk about, okay, what does this look like? What does it mean to create a learning culture? 
And, and so we had the opportunity to do that both in what you would consider the home office. So those marketing sales, all of the folks who worked in the office, and then also, and, and quite honestly, more importantly, we were in, empowered to train our production staff because Quest at the time made all of their own ingredients, all their own bars, everything was done in-house. But we had huge turnover, lots of people coming and going all the time. There was no consistency. And so we started to notice there was inconsistencies in the bars. Mm -hmm. And when you get to the number one place, you have to have more consistency. And so that required some training. And so we started to experiment with, okay, well, how do people learn? And what's, what is different between what you would do with somebody that is learning in a production environment versus somebody who's learning about how to sell something? And is it different? Do the same methodologies work? And the answer to that is yes, the same methodologies do work, but your approach has to be slightly different. And so a lot of experimenting, a lot of refining of my philosophy of education, I kept coming back to this idea that we need to think differently. We need to have it be interactive. And so I came up with three things that training always has to be. And the three things, and they're going to sound super basic because they are, but too often they get missed, but training has to be fun, it needs to be interactive, and it needs to be relevant. And so as my time at Quest came to a close, um, and I learned so much while I was there, I had my first opportunity to do some global training, I got to work with our brand ambassadors, I got to work with, again, the C-suite, and then our production lines staff. And so I realized that, again, humans learn how humans learn. And it enabled us to start playing with that. And then we started building this idea that learning could actually be fun. You didn't have to hate coming to training. In fact, that was the highest compliment we got was, you know what, when you guys do training, I actually don't hate it. And I thought, great. I'm really glad the bar's that low. Um, I think I'm supposed to be happy with that. That sounds like a compliment. Uh, and, but it's because most people, when they think about corporate training, they really do think, oh my gosh, this is going to be so boring. I don't want to be there. And I, I don't want to be associated with that. I want to have fun. So if I'm going to have fun, then the training I create has to be fun because otherwise it's really boring to create it. And I don't do boring well. I'd start to get myself into trouble when I'm bored. So it's always best if we just keep things alive and fun and interesting and engaging. And then make sure it's also relevant because if it's not relevant, you can have, if you have two of the three, it's a near miss. So it, yeah, that was really fun and interactive. I have no idea why I had to learn it though. You missed relevant or wow, that I was relevant and boring as all get out. Okay, well then nobody's gonna actually do it. They're gonna be like, click, 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 click. How fast can I get through this? Uh, because they don't care and they don't, it didn't, force them to interact or digest any of the information. We didn't give them an opportunity to demonstrate that they actually learned something. And I put that on the, the education team. Like it's our job to make this interesting. Can't just say, well, the learners couldn't be bothered. Well, yeah, cause we put out a really bad product. Of course they couldn't be bothered. We didn't do our job. And so I really took this idea, you know, you'll hear if you live in the education space for very long, you'll hear things like the flipped classroom. And a lot of people take that idea and they mean all of the learning is the learner's responsibility. And all, all I'm supposed to do as the educator is make the education available to you. And I would say that's not right. <laughs> it's kind of directionally right. 
yes, the learner needs to take responsibility for learning, but my job is to do the 50% of making it genuinely available, something that people want to interact with, not something that they're like, oh gosh, another training I have to go to. In fact, there was a commercial on last fall, and I don't watch commercials very often, but this one caught my attention. And I don't even know what, it, what the commercial was for, but it was these people in a boardroom and they were listening to a training and it was this guy up front, it was PowerPoint slides with lots of words and they were all bored to tears and it popped up and it, you know, it said, corporate training is boring. And I was like, I'm offended by that. Corporate training doesn't have to be boring. It can actually be interesting. It can be fun. It can be relevant. It can, it can be interactive. Like it doesn't have to be like that. And so I came back to work the next week uh, with my team and I was like, guys, we, we can't, we can't be this way. Mm. And, and so that leads me to where I'm at today. Yeah. And my job now, I, I love what I get to do. And, and what I do is really a, a growth trajectory of what I've been doing all along. And that is a combination of teaching people things in a way that helps them to be better at their job. Because I work now for one of the biggest companies in the world. I work for Johnson and Johnson and I work in their medical devices sector, which most of you are like medical, what? Uh, it's just a fancy term for things that people use in hospitals. The company that I work for is called Biosense Webster. And what we do is amazing. We actually allow people's lives to be changed because they have irregular heartbeats and the system that we use can help cure them. And in the hands of a really good physician, it is amazing. And my team, what we're create, what we have to do is create training to enable all of our clinical staff and all of our sales staff to be actively participating in the hospital to allow the physicians to do their best work. And it is a wildly complicated, fascinating place to be. And I had absolutely no idea what I was getting into when I got hired. So they did not hire me because I have any knowledge at all about electrophysiology. You can go look that up later. It has to do with the electrical system of the heart and the doctors who work in that space. No idea. I had no idea I was going to be working with a whole bunch of engineers and nurses. Had I known, I might have reconsidered my uh, career options. But I love what I do because I get to not only impact how these people learn and preparing them to be successful in the lab and help patients, which is part of the Johnson & Johnson credo, that our number one priority is to make sure that we are helping our patients. And in order to do that, we have to make sure we're training our people well, which has allowed me to continue to refine that philosophy of education that, that we need to think about how do people actually learn? What do they learn? And how do they want to be able to demonstrate that learning? And so as we've done that, and it's also, a, we've been able to morph some things. And so we've moved away from really long uh, online learning courses because they are soul sucking most of the time. Nobody wants to be part of that. Everyone's like, oh, they're so bad. And yet they're like, when I say, okay, we need to create some sort of e-learning, they're like, all right, it's going to be like 30 minutes long and we're going to cover everything. And I'm like, why? Why? Why do something you know people aren't going to enjoy? Yeah. So I always use the test. If I want to do it, then let's make it. And if I don't want to do it, probably don't want to make it. Because again, like I'm, I'm your worst case scenario from a learning perspective. Because I have the attention span of a gnat. 
So <laughs> I'm just going to give up on it. I'm going to be like, whatever, get through it. I'll figure out the test. It'll be fine. I didn't actually learn anything. Yeah. And so I want to make sure that we learn things and we want to have fun doing it. And so as we're building content, we're always asking those questions. And then because that's fun and I enjoy that part of my job, but what I really want to do in life is help people be successful. And so again, coming back to books that I've read that have greatly impacted me, Carol Dweck's mindset is a game changer. Again, that's another one of those pause, go read it, come back uh, because you'll be different after reading it uh, and realizing how entrenched I was in a fixed mindset and how to help myself and others get out of that. So I started a book club <clears throat> with my team. So Carol, Carol Dweck's book uh, is uh, incredibly thought provoking. And, and having read a lot of books over the last 10 years, I've realized that uh, I needed to introduce other people to these books. And so as I walked into my role at Johnson & Johnson, I realized that the people I was hiring and who were working with me hadn't had the same opportunity to interact with these other ways of thinking. And so I started a book club and I made it mandatory because I really wanted people who have to think differently and not that they needed to think the way I did, but I wanted them to at least start to question some of their presuppositions about how the world works. And so the very first book that we read was Mindset. And that's a book where Carol Dweck takes you and, and puts you in a world and says there, there are two types of people. And there, there are people who are in a fixed mindset. And that's the vast majority of us in some parts of our life are in a fixed mindset where we believe this is the hand we have been dealt. These are the skills and talents that I have. And that's all I have to offer. And so um, I'm going to spend a lot of my energy trying to bluff you into thinking I have more to offer than I actually believe that I do. And then there are those people, sadly, a much smaller group of people who sit in what's called a growth mindset. And that's in the, yes, I was dealt a hand when I was born. There are certain things that I am predisposed to enjoy, be good at whatever, but I can learn anything. Mm. And when I, when I first read that book, it was one of those moments where I was like, wow, that's actually true. Like, like really true. I can learn anything because I had always thought, yeah, yeah. Like in school I can learn. Yeah. Uh, but this was beyond that. This took, took us to this other place of, I can learn anything. And if I can learn anything, then I can create training that can help people learn anything, which redoubled my interest in neuroscience, because then it became, okay, so if I can teach people anything, I've really got to understand how the brain works so that I can make sure I'm maximizing my impact. And so we started reading books and we read Mindset. And then we, again, coming back to Brene Brown, we read Daring Greatly and we've continued on. We're on now our sixth book. I've been with J&J just under three years. We're reading our sixth book together. And, and this, this next book, we finally worked our way up to what I think of as the most impactful business book that's ever been written. And that's Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. It is, again, it's an incredible book. They do a great job of storytelling and making sense of some of the really critical truths about leadership. And the first one, uh, it's like chapter two of the book, and I can remember, I got this book for Christmas, again, audiobook. 
Uh, I got it for Christmas one year, it's about five years ago, right after I moved to LA. And I was on my way to work one morning listening to the book in the car and I was on the chapter that was titled, There Are No Bad Teams, Only Bad Leaders. And I thought, yeah, I just don't, I don't agree. And, and in the middle of driving to work, they're really hammering their point, like this, this is the truth. And I, I'm, I'm literally at this point shouting in my car about how wrong they are. Because I'm like, I've led bad teams. And they were bad, like the team was bad. And I am awesome. So clearly there are bad teams and not necessarily bad leaders. And then they go on to make their point. And I was like, oh man, they're right. I was terrible. Oh, brother, I've got things to continue to work on. Because you have to understand at that point, I'm 10 years in to this leadership journey. I think I've pretty well got it figured out. I'm teaching courses on leadership, realizing I've got a long ways to go. And at first I was kind of sad about that because I was like, man, I suck. And then I was like, I can learn anything. I can continue to get good at this. And I want to be good at this. I want to be the best leader you ever work with. So for me, my why, I want to help you be crazy successful. So I want people to say to themselves, if they look back on their life and say, I was never more successful than when I worked with Kim. Now notice I did not say when I work for Kim, because I don't think anyone works for me. They work with me. Now I might have the leadership title, but I'm, I'm not a hierarchy person unless things are going badly. And then I'm going to be the one who stands in front and I'm going to take all of the crap that's coming and I'm going to protect my team. Now I'm going to turn around and have conversations with them. I'm not letting them off the hook. I have read and live into extreme ownership. Mm -hmm. But part of extreme ownership is you never, ever, ever sell out your team. Mm -hmm. So if there's a problem with the team, it starts with me. And that, is so freeing to know that if something went wrong, it was my fault. Because when it's my fault, I can fix it. And I like to fix things. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. If it's my fault, now I'm no longer a victim. I can do something about it. I can walk into whatever the solution is. And sometimes the solution is gonna be hard and it's gonna be messy, but I can do it. Because I can learn anything it's my fault. And I am brave enough to take off my armor and say, this is hard for me. And so there are things that I am not good at. And there are some things that I don't intend to ever get good at. And I'm totally okay with that. So I surround myself with people who are good at the things that I am not good at. I'm the creative visionary. That is my job. I am not the detail person. No one wants me being in charge of details. I know there are details and I even know what some of them are, but I do not know all the details and I am never going to, and I'm totally okay with that. <laughs> and that was, that's a, for me, that was one of the things that helped catapult my career and just my own self, a sense of self. I didn't have to be good at everything. Yeah. I had somebody come to me one time and they're like, I'm so intimidated to talk to you. And I was like, me? You're too, what? She's like, oh man, you just look like you have it all together all the time. Like you've so got things figured out. And I was like, oh, oh friend, no, 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 hot mess. Everything you see, hot mess. 
Um, yep. Mm, please don't be intimidated because it's no, I do not have it all figured out, but realized I had given off this impression that I did. And I really had to embrace what it meant to be authentic mm. and to really say like this, not just like, oh yeah, randomly things are hard, but to say, you know what? The, there are things that are really hard. There are things that scare me, like being real because you might not like me and I genuinely want you to like me but I'm not willing to sacrifice who I am to make you like me. So there's a little bit of a give and take there, but I, I do like, I want people to like me. Cause I think most of us, unless we're sociopaths, we actually want people to like us. And so it was this whole learning experience. And so as I've continued to be a mentor to people and to want to just help people be successful, reading books is like the most important thing that I've found. And then being honest about those things that I just don't understand it, or it's hard, or this scares the snot out of me. And, and being okay saying those things. And so I tell my team stuff, like, guys, I, don't, I have no idea. I have no idea what we're trying to accomplish here. And I'm real honest about that. Sometimes probably too much. Mm. I've got to learn where those lines are and find the balance points. Um, but I, I very intentionally, when I started at J&J, I set out to be a countercultural leader because I wanted to be that person people knew they could trust, that they could come to. I was going to tell them the straight truth, never breaking confidence, not being inappropriate, but also not making up some story just to try to look like I've got the right answers or that things are better than they really are, because I don't think that that serves us. And so I've had so many opportunities to just walk with people through their own challenges because I know what that's like. I remember being that person who was struggling and who continues to struggle and making space for people so that they can have those moments and just be their authentic selves. Now, if they're being jerks and calling it their authentic self, I'm going to call them on that too. Good. There's a place for where we have to have space to say this this is something I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. Yeah. And if we don't allow that, then we're, we start to create this very small world where people can't fail. They can't try new things. And the reality is when you try something new, you will fail. There is no way to avoid it. And I think the greatest picture you can think of is if you've ever been around new parents and as their kids grow and this becomes particularly evident when they're starting to learn how to walk hmm. so when a baby is learning to walk if they take two steps everyone's like oh my gosh did you see that how amazing nobody's going dude what's wrong with you you fell down again good lord get up stop crying <laughs> no, no one does that but we all think as we get older that when we try something new and we fail that we are a failure hmm. And the reality is when you try something new, you are going to fail because you've never done it before. Yeah. And if we only do things that we know we'll be good at, it's a very, very narrow wall, walkway that we can be on because we've now limited ourselves. And I did this for a really long time. Like that was kind of the, the hallmark in my family was I was the one who only did the things she knew she'd be good at well into my 20s. And, and so I, I taught and I was really good at it. And I was like, well, that's it. I'm staying right there until I realized I was dissatisfied and I needed to be 
doing more. And I, I would tell people, like, I'm not creative at all until I realized, oh, I actually am creative. I'm just not artistic. So I'm not artistic. Like, no one's going to ask me to draw a picture. Coloring in the lines can be challenging. But you want to design a, a fun training program? All right, I can do that. Let's sit down for an hour. I can, I can design a training program for you in about an hour. Tell me what you need. Let's brainstorm some ideas. And then let's go build it. That's what I'm good at. Creative sol problem solving? Yeah. I'm your girl. If that's what you want. You want art? Probably go talk to somebody else. <laughs> so that, you know, in a very big nutshell, Ava, that's my origin story. And that's her origin story. Trials, tribulations, and successes all brought Kim to work within the top of the field in Johnson & Johnson. You know, something that I really admired most is how she genuinely learned from every mistake and stacked each brick towards her success. And by the way, if you want to know more about Kim's ability to educate and train a team to the best ability possible, there's a free resource article titled Learning on the Job, Winning at Corporate Training that can be found in the bio below. Stay tuned for the next episode, which comes out tomorrow. We'll be discussing more about her amazing leadership ability, books that shaped her, vulnerability, and how realizing that your problems are your fault are actually a blessing.